this episode, Rob Griffin from Almighty talks about analytics in agency and his work as a chief innovation officer. So stay tuned. So welcome everyone to another episode of Future of Data podcast. Today we have with us Rob Griffin. Uh, uh, to give you a very, very brief, tiny brief uh, background on Rob and, and I'll have Rob pitch in and, and explain his wonderful journey through this data. So Rob is driving you know, uh, transformational innovation within marketing and advertising, pushing creative and media technology limits, helping brands take ownership of their technology, data and media for greater transparency and accountability, putting the agent back in the agency. Been working in digital marketing and advertising since 1996. A Bostonian, a diehard Celtic fan, so we have something in common. Uh, dad, speaker, writer, advisor, skier, comic book fan, and lover of good eats. So we have another common in that. So, uh, Rob, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thank you. So love to know, love to know your journey, um, your background. And by the way, amazing company name, as I was, as I was saying before, before the podcast, Almighty. So you're working for Almighty. Um, so as a chief innovation officer, the entire thing is like beautiful. So, um, so love to know, love to know your, your, your background and your journey. And then, and then we'll get, get, get to sort of the, the question, the question that we have. Um, you know, when I was young, out of college, uh, I went to the University of Rhode Island. Um, spent a lot of time in the early days, um, you know, with uh, working for a company, uh, Hubnet Communications, that owned BostonDine.com, uh, which was a precursor to City Search, Real Cities. Uh, back before there was dynamic search results and everything was sort of hard coded search results. Um, and then from there, I ended up spending some time with Laredo Group. Um, for anybody on the podcast that's uh, been around the business for a while, you might have heard of How to Buy and Sell Web Ads, a training program that Laredo Group ran with Adweek. Um, so I used to work with them in the very, very early days, spent some time at Cara, Cara Interactive, and then put in the last decade and a half-ish uh, at Havas as their global head of digital product development and innovation. Um, about a year and a half ago, I left, and in that year and a half, I started my own company called FinterityX. Um, an independent consultancy, a little different than some of the other consultancies out there like Unbound, Labmatic, Anagram, Transparent, that are helping brands pull everything in-house. Nice. I'm gambling on history repeats itself in that if you look at the early days of digital, search, social, mobile, when the large agency groups didn't understand how to do this new thing, they did bring it in in-house and then they realized how hard it was and within a couple of years, it, all that work went back to an agency, but it didn't go to the holding company. It went to a specialty agency that eventually got acquired by the holding company. So I'm trying to help brands take ownership of their technology and their data. Um, and, and, and the reason I think that's important, which is why I've been focused so heavily on that in the last couple of years, is everybody knows the expression, data is the new oil. But I don't think people think that through in terms of the manifestation of what that means. So to follow that analogy through, if data is the new oil, Brands always own their raw first party data, but that's crude oil. Crude oil doesn't make a machine work. And what all marketers want right now is to build a dynamically personalized, sort of trigger based experience optimization system to create omni channel experiences from in store to CRM to the site to their social presence to their app. 
And the challenge is, is if the agency owns the brand's technology and data contracts, the agency owns the refined oil because the raw data by itself isn't as useful until you run it through a data management platform, enrich it with third party and second party data sources, and then you turn the crude oil to refined oil. Hmm. And so the brands can still use agencies for a lot of services. But I think the future of the business is that I, as an agency, are going to be logging into my client's DMP platform, my client's DCM platform, my client's media math contract, instead of them using mine. And what happens in that scenario is then the head of CRM, the head of business intelligence, the head of the site, uh, the head of mobile will now share data with marketing because they know that stack is all owned by the brand. And that creates a lot more data interoperability across the organization to deliver against that experience. And so that's a key area that I've been focused on. And after doing that about six months, I merged Fintarity uh, X into Almighty and made Fintarity X a subdivision of Almighty called Almighty X, focused mm -hmm. on that data technology ownership, digital governance, um, transparency, but not just what the ANA is writing about with transparency purely around agency pricing, but down the entire digital supply chain. Where are my ads running? What's, you know, there's brand safety, you know, measures and brand safe sites, but there's also brand relevant sites. Mm. And in bidding a higher CPM can net me a more effective cost per sale because I'm getting in front of better audiences with better inventory, with better quality. And so I was doing that with an almighty because what almighty did really good is they created digital assets for brands to use and dynamically assemble based on some machine learning or algorithm or artificial intelligence to create connected experiences, both at live events, but also on site, in app. And that fit re really well with what I was doing with programmatic media, data, technology ownership, because a lot of the larger agencies really struggle with dynamic creative optimization. They're really mm -hmm. good at making above the line award-winning spots, but not so hot at just making me a thousand assets that some machine is going to assemble into a, a consolidated unit, ad unit that a, a consumer might see. Uh, and then about a year ago now, we got then acquired by Connolly Partners, which is one of the largest independent, wholly owned agencies in the Boston area that's largely and historically been traditional media. And they really wanted to goose what they did in digital. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of great synergies with what I was doing with Almighty um, in that the challenge we had that even though all media is digitizing and traditional channels are increasingly um, are able to be purchased programmatically, digital out of home, out of home, TV, a lot of brands, if I didn't have a traditional department, didn't want to work with me. Even if I was going to use Adstruck, for example, as a platform to optimize out of home programmatically, I still needed out of home people hmm. for them to feel comfortable in working with us. So that was a great synergy. And that's been about a, a year in the making now. And what we're trying to do together is create what I think will be the future of the agency. That's some sort of a hybrid between the management consultancies like Accenture Interactive, Deloitte Digital, you know, IBM's IX, and your traditional agencies, where there's a layer of digital governance, data technology consulting on top that makes the media perform that much better. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the program is sponsored by Jobfair at Tau.ai. To learn more, go to Jobfair, that's J-O-B-F-A-I-R dot T-A-O dot A-I. A fastest AI-driven way to help you find your next job. Do check them out. Let's get back to the podcast. Interesting. I think that's 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 a very 
loaded uh, background. So thank you so much for sharing that. Because <laughs> I think you, I think to me, marketing has been one of the early adapter of. Um, and I was just, I think, just before this podcast, I was doing our, our weekly roundup podcast, and I was talking to my my my, my sort of uh, fellow uh, partner in that, and I was discussing with her that. Uh, analytics in marketing was there since the first thing the first business really that emerged that ever create thought about scaling i think from that point of view um uh, kudos so i think that's great great you know, it's, it's not it's not a popular discussion you know right. but what's funny about that if you look at the history of innovation within digital digital media interactive media online media it's been called a number of things over the years but the irony there is is if you actually pay attention to what the porn guys are doing for digital marketing and advertising that's probably the next thing that the big CPGs are going to adapt, whether it be, you know, that's keyword cool. stuffing, black hat SEO, to pop unders, pop ups, to retargeting, to contextual targeting. You know, all those things were largely done with those guys long before anybody else knew what it was. And I, and I think one thing that I, I really like what you said was the history repeat itself. I think that's that's another sort of uh, extremely relevant point that uh, even in even in sort of in other other areas in data science where it's actually being used. Uh, this is pretty much what we suggest that hey look at a similar use case in the past mm-hmm. you know what's so if you if you support can get the similar story in the in the background or in in the past you probably can know how this today's story will will transform in tomorrow you're, you're, you're onto something there that i think is absolutely huge and i think often i don't want to say a mistake um because that sounds negative but i think it, it's not thought all the way through and you know here i am sitting here as a chief innovation officer in many cases i'm telling clients not to innovate you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I think some of the problems come about when a particular vertical is trying to innovate based on what their competitors have done already in their space. And to me, that's not real innovation. I want to look outside of my category and look at disruptors. You know, if I'm, you know, uh, an auto glass replacement company, could I look at the functionality and the mobile technology that an Airbnb or an Uber are offering and use that to make my business that much better. So I think you're right. You got to look outside of your vertical, outside of your category and find cool technologies and really strategically think about how that could be repurposed to do something truly innovative in my space. Interesting. Yes, I think that's well said. And so I think one thing that that fascinated me about when I was looking at your profile was something called transformational um, um, innovations. So what what exactly? I think these are two of the words that I love the most when it comes to sort of strategy and and, and any business who actually care about surviving and breathing. Um, these are two key words that they should care about. I've never seen them together uh, mm-hmm. before. So that's what's exactly. If you can shed some light, what what exactly is transformational innovation? Yeah, it, it's really trying to operate to help a brand rethink everything they're doing. And and part of sort of when I talk about putting the agent back in the agency, it's, you know, I, I think the model of the agency in the future, like when I talked about brands owning their technology, their data is a bit more, it's sort of a hybrid model where the agency of the future is going to look a lot more like a general contractor, mm. like it does now to a certain degree, which will allow. Um, but what I was saying around that, is that the agency is going to look a lot more like a general contractor and, and not like the traditional agency now that's a bit more of a middleman. Hmm. So you're going to pay strategically to help you redesign your house, giving your budget, giving your timing, and I'm going to find the bricklayer, the right painter, the right electrician, the right plumber for you. I'm not actually going to do any of that. So I think the mar- you're going to see a shift in the market from self-serve 
but back to more managed services, particularly in specialty areas. The difference being is with a traditional general contractor, you pay him and he pays everybody else. And I think the future of the model is that general contractor for innovation and transformation isn't the bank in the middle. The brand owns all their own MSAs, pays all their own bills because that guarantees transparency, guarantees accountability, and keeps everybody honest. So I think it's really about helping organizations think about the process by which they're going to go about and innovate because there's no magic bullet, hmm. there's no shiny object that will solve all your problems, and there's no perfect solution. You look at geolocation mobile providers. You know, you have Factual, you have Ninth Decimal, you have Foursquare, you have CTO Mobile, um, and I'm sure there's others that I'm leaving off that list. And they're all different players, the same thing, a lot of differentiation. So you got to find the right one that's right for you and just move forward and test it. And know it's not going to be perfect. And be prepared to do any of the hacks with code or different things you need to do on the background to make that work for your brand and get the entire organization to understand this as a journey. It's not a stop, start, all right, how did we do? It's mm. an ongoing change. And, and what's interesting is it's an ongoing evolution, but to get a brand down that evolutionary path of innovating and transforming their organizational structure to be suited more to this omni-channel cross-device consumer, it does require a bit of a, an, a, a spark, a, a moment of revolution where there was a pain point that caused something and that had to change and that starts them down the pro process of evolution because everybody in the business talks about this innovation and change in an organizational structure it's an evolution, not a revolution. Mm. But until there's a revolutionary moment, I can't get them on the path to evolution. Interesting. And I think, uh, thank you so much for, for, for sharing that with us. So now, now let's talk about your current role as Chief Innovation Officer. So what does that role mean for an for a agency or for, for a creative agency? Well, I mean, it, 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 it means a lot to an agency, you know, from my days at Avast when I was helping them with digital product development, which was still a lot of innovation and even what I'm doing now, you know, any new technology uh, or data provider that you bring in, you know, at the end of the day, an agency is a B2B company. Mm. So the way when I look and evaluate technologies that I want to share and deploy or test within the agency and on behalf of a client, it, it really everything falls down into two buckets and I'm oversimplifying, but if you distill all metrics and every RFI you've ever re read, you can really distill them down to what's going to create operational efficiencies to make the agency extract more margin out of the business they're working on because it's creating operational efficiencies. Hmm. And what bells and whistles and functionality in that platform are going to allow me to use data faster, better, in as close as I can possibly get to real time that's going to make their CRM, their site perform better, their paid media perform better. And so if you think about it in those two camps, that's what I spent a lot of time doing now. One of our newest clients now spent a lot of time trying to help them create that data interoperability efficiently, like I was mentioning before, because they've got viewability in one platform. They have their business intelligence over here in Tableau. They maybe have some paid ads running in DCM. They've got a DSP running over here. You've got a programmatic mechanics managing their LinkedIn or Amazon buy over there. I have Moat with a bunch of viewability and brand safety and non-human traffic and IVT data over here. How do I get that all into one dashboard first and foremost so the client can have a single view of what's going on? But then how do I get that data out of each of those other systems into the other mm -hmm. system so everybody can take advantage of the little pockets of insight that they have? And now many brands and many companies like the Oracles, the Adobe's of the world are gambling on Salesforce, that horizontal stack. 
But I think you still run into the same interoperability of data problems because they created a horizontal stack through acquisition. So a lot of those systems, even though they all have the same name in the front of the tool, you know, Salesforce's DMV, uh, their social platform manager, their site analytics tool, their dynamic creative optimization platform, were all bought through acquisitions and they're in varying degrees of how well they work together in the sandbox. And then you have other brands that think that's just baloney and they don't want to do that for those reasons. So they go out and pick, you know, Moat, a Convertro, a Tableau, you know, Media Math, Programmatic Mechanics, and, and they, they go out and pick best in class, but you still run into that same problem. Hmm. How do I get these to connect and work together? So being a chief innovation officer almost requires me to be a sales engineer. I remember, I think back to my days in college of, you know, how did IBM succeed with e-business, you know, back in the day, this is probably 20 years ago at this point, but how did they succeed at that? They created this new hybrid, hybrid role called the sales engineer that basically spoke three languages, products mm -hmm. and the engineers, the in-house sales guys and clients. And he knew enough about the code and the technology um, and scripts and all these other things that he could translate between everybody and sort of get everybody marching in the same direction. And so, you know, in short, that's largely to me what an innovation officer or head of innovation should be doing. We shouldn't just be throwing shiny objects around just because it's new and cool doesn't mean everybody should. You know, you look at Snapchat, they've had a, a variety of successes with brands and a lot of brands haven't had success. And you got to be careful because it's not right for everybody. Interesting. And, and I think, um, so in your typical role, right, as a chief innovation officer or as, as innovation head of, of an agency, so how much of the innovation that you see are bottom up and or how much of these are top down? Like how much of, how do you sort of um, uh, maintain a balance between the two? If you can shed some light. Uh, what I'm trying to do is, again, thinking back to that analogy of the sales engineer, trying to have your feet in different ponds, if you will, and have influence in different sides. And then also, you know, again, stop being like the traditional agency person, stop being the middleman, mm. stop being the gatekeeper and making everything run through you. You know, if a technology partner, um, you know, I'm working with a company called Kitewheel that's a dynamic decisioning engine and, and they're not your DMP, they're not your ESP, they're not your data warehouse, they're not your DSP, but they sit in the middle and take data in from everybody, align that data together combine it all together, enrich that data, and then spit it back out to those various sources that are actually managing the touch points with the prospects and customers. You know, and if they've got a relationship at the top, I can provide them advice on how and what to say and when to help get what we need to get through together up to benefit the brand's business goals, not just arbitrary media KPIs and cheap CPMs, which in my opinion is what caused hmm. all this fraud viewability garbage that everybody's freaking out about, right. but actually, address a business key challenge or in other cases, if I'm, if I'm very tight with the top and the senior management at an organization and the sales rep at a publisher with a new innovative data solution is really tight with the more junior people at the agency and or the client side, let them continue with those relationships. But again, advise and guide them on how to get things through. Cause I don't think you can purely attack top down because then when it gets to the, the, the younger sort of, uh, team members in the trenches, they're like, great, my boss is making me do this. And they're not going to put in that effort because they don't care and they don't want to. Conversely, if it goes up the food chain and the senior management and client side, in my experience, is sort of blindsided and it doesn't fit in with their agenda because right. they might already have other companies they're thinking of, it'll just get shut down cold. And so you really have to do both. 
Um, and, and it's sort of like a pendulum slider, right? Mm-hmm. You know, am I going to take a heavied up approach on bottom up or am I going to slide that over and take a top down heavied approach? But you can't do either in isolation or, 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 or you're just going to run into mm-hmm. a wall. And, or, you know, sometimes the biggest challenge with data management platforms, mm-hmm. it gets sold to the media team in a silo because they have the biggest budgets in the organization. And it's in many cases for large brands, a six digit cost of a DMP is a rounding error. Mm-hmm. So the marketing pays for it. But then a year later, the rest of the company, and they get in a new chief chief innovation officer, a new chief information officer, a chief technology officer, and it's like, why are we spending this money? You're only using mm-hmm. it to optimize media. I'm putting CRM data in to go buy media, but you're not sending that data back to CRM to make CRM better. Screw this. Get it out of here. Uh, we wasted our money. And that's what happens when you go in with a siloed approach, and you're not sort of getting buy-in unilaterally across all major stakeholders across an organization. And that requires top-down and bottom-up. Interesting. I think that's, uh, by the way, thank you for explaining that. But I think one thing that, that again, stuck uh, uh, when you were saying that, that uh, innovation is a revolu- uh, is not a revolution, but evolution, right? So on, on that but thought... With evolution. With re- so, so it, it happened, right? Okay. And that's just human nature, right? No, nobody wants change. I'm only going to change when I have to. So right. there has to be some sort of spark that caused a massive pain point for that brand to sit up and say, okay, revolution time. And then they very quickly get everybody on board and rethink their approach to how they're doing business as usual. And then it phases into an evolutionary process. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the program is sponsored by Jobfair at Tau.ai. To learn more, go to Jobfair, that's J-O-B-F-A-I-R dot T-A-O dot A-I a fastest AI-driven way to help you find your next job. Do check them out. Let's get back to the podcast. Right. No, I think that's that's beautifully put because I think I I harp a lot about um, looking at science as art of doing this business and science of doing business. And mm-hmm. if, if you talk about science of doing business, it's, it's pretty much like incremental approach and uh, customer learning customer behavior yeah. and doing something. And if you say art about doing business, it's pretty much it's it's the revolution that you're talking about. That's those I radical. That's right, and that's where you know when I joined my company in with Almighty, when we first did it to explain what we did, I sort of made this like Venn, Venn diagram with sort of three overlapping circles. And to me, you know, the top is really about consumer insight, research, um, understanding the marketplace, understanding the competition, understanding the target audience. Um, how that audience is consuming content, where they're consuming content, what device they're consuming content on. You know, and on the right, you've got media innovation, which mm-hmm. we're seeing a lot of now with programmatic media and the evolution of how much a percentage of a client's budget is going to digital. Then on the left side, you have creative technology that's going to enable that, whether it's a, an asset management platform like Atomized, um, or it's a dynamic creative optimization platform like Thunder that's plugged into your DSP or SpongeCell was an old one that we used to work with, haven't in a while. Um, and then at the bottom, you really have the data. So on the right side, you've got, so on the right, you've really got things that are very people focused. And then the left side of the equation, you have everything that's very data focused. And that overlapping sort of component in the middle is exactly what, what you were talking about. And that's why our, to me, it really makes sense why agencies and consultancies are competing against each other because the consultancies have the in at the board and the C-level, mm-hmm. but they don't really understand the trenches and the data and the nuances and how dirty 
executing digital media can be and how more complicated it's getting when you add CTV, OTT to the buys. And now instead of just using code and cookies and JavaScript, now I'm doing fast tags and all these other things. But then the flip side is the agencies are under sort of undervaluing the importance of being a real champion for the brand and that it takes more than just paid media to grow a business. They all just want to sling as many you know, banners and spend as much media as possible as efficiently as possible. And they're all trying to figure out how to get there. And like, I don't mean mm -hmm. to imply that nobody's doing that. Um, they're trying to, just like the consultants are trying to come in. But again, I think each side is missing a piece of that equation. And that's with with Almighty X, this new division of Connolly Partners is what we're thinking that as a small boutique independent, we can operate more like a very flexible digital SWAT team and the scope of work and the, the bodies and what they work on as part of the scope can move around and be very, very flexible. Because um, I think long term, that's really important. Now that you know, digital in many cases is 50 to 70% of a client's ad budget, sometimes more. Right. But it used to be that digital spend was growing because the client and the agency sat up and said, put more money to digital media, take it from traditional. Well, the percentage of digital spend in the marketing mix is still growing, but less because they woke up and said, take money from traditional and put it in digital, but that digital, that traditional channel just digitized. Right. I'm now buying my radio programmatically. It's now streaming radio via satellite. It's not terrestrial radio. I'm, you know, programmatic TV, addressable television. So I'm still buying TV and, you look at consumer research, you know, for a lot of clients we've worked with, you know, you run an ad in CTV, um, you know, through the app on the TV or the app in their Apple TV. But then when you look at the brand surveys coming back after, the consumer just is like, yeah, I saw the TV ad. They don't realize in the back end that it was bought entirely differently and it was bought more like a banner than it was a traditional TV spot because that 50 inch TV in my wall is now a giant iPad. Interesting. You know, it's more than a TV, right? Well, I think it's, um, and, and, and by the way, thank you so much for, for sharing that. Because I think one thing that comes to my mind about uh, with all these new emerging channels in which now, now uh, most of these people are interacting, whether it's Snapchat, whether it's whatever these platforms are, you guys need to be at the top of those, those sort of platforms, understanding why people use, what people use and, and all that, right? Before sort of getting in yep. as an, as an innovation lead, uh, what are some of your headaches there? Like, what are some of some of some of your concerns? Because I think um, uh, every day there's new platform that we hear about, and, and as a data scientist, like I have to figure out how a business would be impacted by this new buzzword that's emerging. And 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 with with channel marketing, every day they have new channel in which they can they can yell at at, at consumers and probably convert them. <laughs> so now, like with with you guys being at the at the center of this this yelling match. Like, what are some of your thoughts there? Um, you know, I, I think the big challenge there, the, the, you know, the, the, the quote unquote, the thing that keeps me up at night, the question that everybody likes to sort of ask, and, and, and it's part sort of managing expectations of our clients, but it's also part managing expectations of us internally, because um, th there's a lot of things you don't know. You know, you help a client deploy a DMP platform, you get it all in there, you get the data all structured, everything's great, and then the client's like, oh, here's this unforeseen new data source that I thought I wanted. How do I get it into the system? And it's like, well, that data is not structured right. It doesn't map in exactly. That annoys a client that can potentially cause delays in launching activity or using the data they want. It can potentially make them miss their quarterly business targets because their media got delayed because of something. Um, 
or on the agency side, that can cause us to overburn hours on something because we didn't think about how long it was going to take to get tags up, QA the tracking, mm -hmm. or to get data out of one system to another system. That meant I had to go write a thousand lines of code in Python to line up these data sources, and I didn't see that coming. And, and those unforeseen things is really what can cause challenges. And even if it's not technical, it might simply be creative messaging and, and what the KPIs were. You know, for example, consumers have no issues clicking on a branded exposure in Twitter and Facebook and leaving Twitter and Facebook and then coming back again. But we've realized, you know, largely the hard way, um, Snapchat uh, and Instagram consumers don't want to leave mm. the platform. So you have to communicate and talk with them and allow them to do that within the platform without coming out of the linear experience path that they're on. And so just like the technical challenges, sometimes if there's misalignment on, well, hey, I did this Snapchat buy and uh, I, I spent $150,000 and I can't tell if anybody came to my site. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, nobody probably did, but you had all this brand engagement and this brand exposure. So somewhere along the line, there was a misalignment. You know, I remember working with a hotel chain 10 years ago, back when you, it was at the first time you could put a, a branded image in Google Maps. So if somebody searched for roadside hotel, the brand's logo would show up on the pin. Nice. And it was supposed to be like a six month program. You weren't supposed to be able to get out of it for three months was the out clause. You know, in a month in the client's like, I'm not seeing the traffic for this. I want out of the program. And it's like, well, no, like we're branding people looking for hotels in an app. They're not going to click on that and go to your site. They might see that in the app and then go to their browser and search for your brand. So you should probably see an uptick in either direct traffic or organic and or paid search traffic. You're not gonna see an immediate reportable like clickstream report out of a paid campaign with Google Maps. That's not what it was designed to do. So it was missold going in. And so that's the stuff that keeps me up at night because you know, again, going back, you're asking what a chief innovation officer does. I always joke with people that I feel like, you know, part of my job is to help figure these things out and, and help solve problems for clients and help the agency have new innovative things that they can bring to clients. But then there's the other side of my job where I'm sort of like Winston Wolf from Pulp Fiction. You know, I just have to go in and mm -hmm. fix shit because it was misaligned, it was mistagged, or it didn't get QA'd and something broke and everybody's all freaking out and I gotta kinda go in and sort of calm it all down and sort of figure out the path forward. And, and so those are the things that I stress about because it's really important to make sure both internally and externally those expectations are aligned of how long is this gonna take? Where are the pain points that something could go wrong and sort of the train might come off the tracks? So when do we be on the lookout for that? If it happens, is it gonna put two weeks onto the roadmap? Is it gonna put three business days onto the roadmap? And make sure on every, both sides of that partnership, everybody's aware of that. Interesting, interesting. So I think let's 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 take a step back uh, on, 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 on your background. So you have worked with big agencies, you have worked with big companies, you have worked in, in your own small consulting group, and then you, you went in, into mid, small size, mid size. And, and so what are some of the some of the challenges or some of the differences that you have seen of how innovation is being done in these sort of in these varying templates? Like what are some of the commonalities? What are some of the sort of differences that that you have seen? Um, Across yeah, your experience. From my large agency experience days, you know, you were brought in for one thing, right? And you did that one thing. And, and even being part of Connolly and Almighty, you know, they have a scope of work with a client and you do one thing. And if that one thing's not working well because of something another large group has, you know, because at the end of the day, a lot of brands right now have 
you know, you know, a mix of, you know, uh, a Merkel, a Sapient, maybe an army of Adobe consultants. Um, then maybe they've got Publicis, IPG, Havas, WP on the other side of the equation, maybe a different creative agency as part of that. And when I was at the big agency land, it, it was focused on what the task was. And whenever you tried to sort of branch out of that, it could be really challenging to get at some of those other things. And even a mid-scale agency, I think that's often a core challenge. And what I found sort of by being a, a new division of that agency, or even when I was out on my own, you'd often get called into projects where the client said, all right, I'm having this problem. And I have these agency partners here, here, and here, you know, the five agencies doing five different things. And what happens to a brand and the struggle in that instance, whether it be the data, the media, connecting the pipes, it's sort of like building railroad tracks from the East Coast West and the West Coast East. And when you get to the Mississippi, the tracks don't line up. And it's in none of those agency scopes to do it. There's a lack of trust in the marketplace overall right now. So the brand's like, well, I'm not asking any of these guys to help me figure that out. I need somebody independent to come in that's not part of any of that, where they don't feel like I'm biased to you know, they don't want an agency to audit their agency and then recommend themselves as a solution, right? That, that's mm. the fear. Um, and so I think the learning on that is there needs to be at least one degree of separation to maintain a degree of trust where, yeah, I'm a division of Connolly and I'll come in and audit your stuff. And at the end of that, you have a roadmap. If you want to help me execute that roadmap, I can help you. If you want to say I'm precluded from Connolly submitting in for that business, if the output of that is you need a new agency, fine. That's your choice. If because you trust me and you like me and you would like me to bring my agency in and give them a shot at it, great. Sort of very modular, sort of like, you know, and, and very transparently open about that it can be modular. Hmm, but, you know, just like, you know, the large holding companies, the reason they have so many different brands in the portfolio is, you know, no autom automotive manufacturer wants to be in the same company, the agency that their competitor has. Hmm. But both those agencies can be owned by WPP. That's fine. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the program is sponsored by Jobfair at Tao.ai. To learn more, go to Jobfair, that's J-O-B-F-A-I-R dot T-A-O dot A-I. A fastest AI-driven way to help you find your next job. Do check them out. Let's get back to the podcast. So I think, yes. Um, so now let's talk about some of the common mistakes you see businesses do like and and, the, and so i want at least like, give me three three common mistakes that a business do or, or a business leader do and that that you that you experience a lot in 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 terms of uh, either innovation on on how they look at data and, and innovate and all that yeah i, I think you know the, the biggest one to me that, that that i think i see and it's sort of brand and agency alike is you know like i remember when viewability first came out as a thing in the industry there was a lot of brand managers that were clients and, and account directors and the agency side that you'd say, hey, let's go show the client this viewability. And there was this fear that, well, if I show them a viewability report, it's going to infer or imply that I've been doing it bad all this time. And so people often drag their feet on testing new innovative things because nobody wants to go back up to their boss and say, hey, boss, we just have this new technology mm. and it shows that we don't even have 25% viewability. We need to get to 60% viewability and we're gonna change media X, Y, Z because the fear is the boss is gonna go like, what the heck? So you've been doing this bad this whole time? And the answer is like, no, this wasn't available before or it was too new that it was cost prohibitive before, but now it's not. 
Um, and, and so I think that's one big piece of the equation because nobody wants to have to go up the food chain and say something that could imply that maybe they didn't do it as good as they should have, even though the irony there is you drag your feet till your boss goes to a conference and he hears, sees the viewability company speak at a, at a trade show, comes running home to his team and goes, why the hell aren't we doing this? Hmm. And they're in the same position, right? Whereas if they were proactive about it, I think you look like part of the solution and not necessarily part of somebody that's sort of allowing the 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 issue to sort of continue so i think that's sort of a major one i think when it comes into data uh, the biggest challenge again on the agency side and the, and the client side is you know they want uh, they want to save a few pennies and they're not viewing it as an investment so i would rather use my client's instance of the dmp the dsp the search bid manager the facebook pmd platform because it's a little cheaper on me Whereas I think the way they should be looking at it is, well, all right, it might cost me a couple of percentage points in cost on top, but now I own my own tech stack. So if I get sick of my agency, all I have to do is turn off their login, mm. right? Because if the agency owns a tech stack and you look back to that uh, comment I made about data being the new oil and you want to fire your agency, well, that enriched data is technically if the agency owns the, the, the MSA with the tech platform, the data platform, that's their IP. So you're a brand walking away with only your crude oil and you got to start all over again. And so I think that's an important piece. And I think to support that, you know, I'm trying to sort of re-educate the agency community that, you know what, I don't have to be the bank in the middle. And in fact, I can charge the client less of a fee if I don't have to fund a 20 person back office team that's doing nothing but shuffling paper and invoices, hmm. right? So I think that would probably be the second sort of major piece of the equation that, that, that's going wrong there. And then I think the third is just, you know, I, I think the brands need and marketers need to take a more proactive, aggressive stance in their position in the marketplace. You know, you know, everybody's always feels like, well, only P&G can get away from that, get away with this because they're so big that they can make demands. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, to a large degree, you know, when, when digital was less than 30 percent of a client's budget, the agency couldn't make money on it, you know, at the commissions that we were getting paid or what the TV team was getting paid, I'd lose money if I picked up the phone. And so the clients were like, well, I don't wanna pay you anymore for it. Just, I'm gonna look the other way and go arbitrage, get rebates, mark up technology, do whatever you gotta to do to get it done, because I just need to get this done and I don't wanna to have to go ask my boss for more money. Um, you know, and I, again, what we talked about is that kind of go down to New York a lot for the new trust and transparency forum, trying to address mm -hmm. a lot of this. And, you know, it's just interesting to hear people, and I don't hear a lot of people talk about it in this terminology, but. A lot of marketers, they go to these A&A events and they shout from the rooftops that, you know, the agency's not being transparent. They have all these viewability and fraud problems down the entire digital supply chain. But at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of like reading Frankenstein. You know, you're the mm -hmm. doctor, the creative monster, and now it's become such a behemoth and it's so entrenched in how you operate, you don't know how to go get rid of it. Interesting. So that's why marketers can't sit back and just expect you know, the IAB, the ANA, the four A's to figure this out for him or expect their agency to wake up and be like, hey, Mr. Client, I'm now going to be the nice guy on your behalf. Um, I think they need to take a more aggressive stance, whether they have a full stop shop with everything in, within one house or whether they're using an Adobe, an Oracle or a Salesforce and they have a horizontal stack stack or they're using a different agency for their CRM, for their site, for their media, for their creative or they're using best-in-class partners across an entire sort of host of tech stack companies. Either way, make the demands, drive your business, own those relationships, and make everybody play nice together. 
And so I think a lot of this to get solved, all of these challenges in the industry, um, you know, the marketers got, really got to do it for themselves. Interesting. So uh, that's, that's that you're actually raising an interesting point. So now, if if I get back to the uh, art of doing uh, business or science of doing business an analogy, so the future agency, um, what would that be? So how much of it would be um, relying on science of doing business vis-a-vis -vis of art of doing business? Because I think if you talk about and data analytics, that just takes you into the science. And then, and if you yep. talk about the creatives and all, it talks about the art. But, and, but that's what I think the creatives, uh, you know, uh, eventually going to come on board and be a bigger part of this. Um, you know, there's a, it's very interesting that, yeah, it is science. Yeah, it is numbers. But I need to think really creatively and strategically of like, what does this actually mean? What am I going to do with this? So some of it is the science of it but you can't really walk away from the art or the creativity of it and or rather um, on top of that, I think the two, like, you know, I mean, as human beings, we have a left and a right brain for a reason, mm, right? right? So I don't think you can focus on one or the other exclusively. Um, again, going back to the analogy of the IBM sales engineer, I think it's really important that you have a balanced approach and, you know, again, like a little slider, you know, it might be a little heavier science or another brand might be a little heavier on the art and creativity side, but at the end of the day, you're going to slide that back and forth as you work on different projects in any given moments. Because again, like I said, right, true innovation to me is to look at some new science or new technology from another vertical, maybe from another country. Mm. You know, it was one of my favorite parts of my days at Avast was flying around the globe and importing and exporting new things based on how different markets were doing different things and where they were in their evolution of Wi-Fi access, mobile device access reliance on desktop and, and wired pipes. Um, and so again, I think it has to be that balance in, in, in reality because I got to have those tags set up right. I have to have QA'd those tags. I have to make sure the dashboard's set up right, you know, make sure the data coming in is clean um, and making sure the data maps up. And then, but then, you know, the art side of it is a little bit like, I got to make some intuitive judgments. I can't just look at zeros and ones Right? I can't just look at black and white numbers in a dashboard. Sometimes you look at a number and you just got to intuitively think creatively it just out of the box and be like, all right, I know that's what the number is saying, but that doesn't make sense. That's a good Why point. is that happening? So you sort of started with science and then you sort of came over to the art and then the questions that came out of that put you back into the science and then that'll help you come up with a creative solution. You know, um, because again, the, the only constant any of us have in our jobs right now is change. Right. You know, because this selling to a client, it's the right thing now, doesn't mean it's going to be the right thing 18 months from now. Interesting. Because I think we, so nowadays from, from, from our lens, we hear a lot about um, how um, this presence of machine learning and AI, it's actually, it's it's enforcing. So it's it's kind of a, I, I remember one of the executives saying, hey, just let let the AI give me thumbs up and thumbs down so I can just act on it. So, uh, so basically, it's give, giving the impression of pseudo art in some ways, right? So even even like Microsoft is trying to say, hey, what, if an AI design a teenage face, what would the, the teenage face looks like, right? We know that debacle. So now um, uh, in, in agency, like if, if we are sort of, AI is getting into the, the zone in which we are now even considering science to do art for us in some ways, right? So how would that delicate balance uh, shape the business? Because I think one thing that, that I talk a lot about to one of the executives that, hey, you you don't want to outsource your core competency to everyone, everyone with the next software upgrade. 
or or mm-hmm. next patch update right so the 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 point of relying too much on ai could mean pretty much that everyone has the same capability with the next software software upgrade that or next insight the the top of it right because if you look at the agency model technology is eating jobs bottom up right right That's with true. machine learning artificial intelligence automated functionality you know when i was young in, in the digital business you know when i was trafficking campaigns in double click and you wanted to do a rich media ad you had to open up the file mm-hmm. and go in and insert code into right. lines and lines of code planners today don't know have to know how to code to traffic anything it's a drop right. series of drop down menus and it, and it, then the then the dsp or the ad server will walk you through step 1 step 2 step 3 and then you pull just drop downs along you go well eventually artificial intelligence and automated technology is going to make that go away but the output on the other end of that the qa on the other end of that what does this mean i should do with my business won't get consumed and that's where i see part of why you see the like the i think it was the two issues ago of advertising age talking about you know the fox in the hen house with and talking about the out of the shadows with the consultants and ascension interactive this year the first time was in the top 25 global agency list because you think about a consultancy model that the agencies never had the people that you hired so um you know again you know their model is you know they have you know ascension interactive as 10,000 plus employees but it's less hierarchical than an agency the agency problem is you know when i would go in as the head of digital and i'd go in with the head of innovation a head of data or the head of uh uh creative strategy you know and they would hire the three of us after you won the business i had to little by little vanish away to go win other business but the consulting model is the people that ran the business work on that project to its completion and they move on to the next project and i think that model could work really well in the agency world particularly if the agency moves and assumes that I should not be trying to staff a 50 to 100 person in-house trading desk because eventually that job's getting automated but the guy that runs that group his job is not going to be automated because somebody whether I'm managing a 24-year-old kid logging in pushing buttons or I'm managing an automated platform that some sort of machine learned thing pushing buttons somebody's still going to strategically manage that and sort of assess the output QA it make sure it's working um so I think that's where that sort of replacement starts to come and so I always feel like you know the only way you can survive that mm-hmm. is you know to to be swimming upstream you know mm-hmm. career you know you look at people's careers and you can always people always talk about in like management books and stuff that there's two kinds of people out there i either hire really dumb people around me so i look as smart as possible or i constantly hire super smart people and replace myself now there's always a risk that you end up the one out of job but i'd rather take that risk because i can't get the next job up until i've got people that can do my job right. i can't get that they can do my job to do that job so i get somebody to do their job so now instead of backfilling with young people and and teaching them you're potentially backfilling with percentage of sort of machines along the way so i'm constantly working sort of up the food chain where the most value is being added to the business cuz think about it at the end of the day and and i'm a little contrarian in this but if the future of my career is slinging banners hmm. i don't know if i want to stay in business any longer right i'm going to go be no, a steam bomb and that that's i think that that's a beautiful point because i think um, i'll i'll quickly get in and and add, add one point here that as so i represent a company called tau like uh, analytics week it's 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 it talks about uh, we talk about analytics a lot and one of uh, one of the challenges that we are currently working on is what is the future of work look like with analytics and i think that's where even you are sort of pitching in that 
and 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 our sort of we we did a lot of research internal research trying to figure out the future of work and interestingly what we found out there has been too much talk around how i how ai will take away jobs but really no one is looking at how ai could help save it right so can oh, ai right because because i think what humans can do really best is our intuitive capabilities mm-hmm. right intuition and gut feel and i think it's not looking right although everything is looking saying yes but it's not it's not looking right that intuition is very far from ai nowadays so our job mm-hmm. is can can sort of uh, we allocate uh, these professionals to work and 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 can sort of we stitch them stitch these guys with this ai and this ai will make sure everyone has a job as as they grow and if suppose and, and you rightly said if your put a job is to just tag a banner it's a, it's a it's a freaking mundane job and it's well, not appreciated we've all seen the mistakes in the industry with like ai run amok with chatbots right. you know microsoft got in trouble and has been right. issues with watson like somebody's got to manage that on the back end Somehow. and help the thing better and teach it like no that's called sarcasm right. artificial intelligence when they said that mean that you know like it's it's like talking to my kids it's very black and white you know my kids like don't put their stuff away and i'm like yeah thanks for cleaning up kids and right. they're like you that i didn't clean up and i'm like i know i, I was being sarcastic <laughs> yes. you know, they have sort of like talking to a 9 year old right yes. it's very black and white right yes. like <laughs> there's no gray there's no gray there's no gray for there's, them yeah we live in a sea of gray we don't right. live in a black and white world right so i think and, and and that's why i think you're you're rightly saying that like we have so much of people at, at our disposal that we could r- place rightly at right look but i think somehow because of our job, job market today we end up doing putting this my job is i put amazing banner no one cares right it's automation can do that so i think and and, and another thing that we found out was the more efficient you are the more that's pretty much then you're hitting the hitting the ranks of robots the most yeah. efficient you is least efficient robot right yep so so if you're it's not that you should not be efficient you should be creative and that's why i think yeah. that's what that's why i think you, your industry is is doing that uh, phenomenally well by the way so i think well, i think it's interesting you know really what you're talking about there is, is this sort of concept that i talk with clients a lot and even internally in the agency with educational sessions is really trying to sort of in your brain sort of prioritize and index you know what, what with artificial intelligence with machine learning with all this stuff that's coming out what are things and if i put them on an index or a scale what's innovation for today can i use ai to augment what i'm doing to make me more efficient can i use ai to create augmented experiences or augmented mm-hmm. reality connected experiences for a brand to better connect them with a the consumer and, and what's innovation that's going to be a little further down the road like when you see all these vr executions you know i mean my most, the, the best ad i've hands down seen in a very very long time i don't know if you saw it air during the nba finals um was the samsung vr headset when the ostrich right. accidentally got the headset stuck on its head right. you know samsung selling the hell out of that but for most brands so it's a great ad for samsung because they sell a vr headset right. but there's still not enough content in that really right. yet and for most brands that's still too down the road ish but you know what beacons connected experiences leveraging the gyroscope in a phone you know those are all things doable now and it's innovative and it's cool but you can do it right now reasonably cost effectively um so you have to think about it in that and then the challenge the next comes and this isn't new i i got it out of a a business article regularly where a brand i think was talking to the ana or whatever 
And they were talking about, you know, the structure of, of a good agency partner going forward should be something to the effect of, I do about 70% of it, 20% I'm playing general contractor of managing various specialists. And then it's a 10% rotating group of people. Like I made that reference earlier, mm -hmm. like, oh, I need some Python code or yes. I need somebody that knows this technology, but I really only need him for three or four weeks. So I'm not going to keep him on staff. So just have 10% of my team that mm -hmm. rotates in and out. And if I'm not the bank in the middle and the client's paying their own bills and owns their MSA, I don't need a finance backend. And I think that's how you create that flexible, dynamic sort of agency of the future that everybody's saying they want. And that and structuring it like that, those, those 20 and 10 groups are in many cases where the core team is going to find the innovative ideas that they can slot for their clients into innovation for today, innovation for tomorrow. Interesting. No, I think that's well said. So now, now let's, let's talk about your dream team. Uh, so if, uh, as a, so if you need to hire someone, like what is your next, uh, so what is a, a good hire that you would consider? Um, so if you talk about that, what would that be? Hey, I mean, the joking answer is, is, you know, the first major hire I want to go make is a really, really good EA. You know, since I left of us, I haven't had one. And, you know, it's really hard to run around and do these things and multitask and have your calendar look like a smorgasbord of colors and overlapping boxes and without somebody to help simplify the brain, you know, and when you're running around, because I think to do these types of jobs well, you know, ADHD is sort of your secret weapon. And if you don't have somebody behind the scenes helping you drive that, um, it's really hard to keep that all together, especially in this world of video conference calls, jumping on a plane, jumping on a train, working remotely, you know, remembering to log into, oh, I need to check my messages from this group in Slack, but this group I need to go into Basecamp, and this group has Google Slides, this group is in a PowerPoint. You know, it's really always helpful to have somebody that's not on the front lines in the back end, just sort of watching and policing. Um, so uh, that's sort of like half joke, half truth. Mm. Um, I think the big thing, giving these changes that are going on is I think, you know, brands that want to do more of it themselves and or agencies that are moving into this world, as well as the consultancies coming into this world, they're going to need to operate more like an ad tech or a martech company and or a, a modern publisher like a vice or an urban airship. Um, I need ad ops. Mm. I need something that their only job is to go in and make sure the trafficking was done right make sure the specs are accurate, make sure the timeline and when the specs need to be delivered and the assets need to be delivered to be trafficked out, that remember to go in and QA, that can actually scan a dashboard and a report and say, and have just so much incumbent knowledge in their brain to say, well, we've been, over the last three weeks, the way we've been facing this, this delivery doesn't make sense. There must be some IVT traffic going on right here because something's out of whack and it doesn't make sense. If you've just got assistant planners trafficking their own campaigns, you often forget the QA, and then you go to pull your first report a week or two weeks into the campaign, and you're like, oh, wait, we don't have any reports for that. I have no insight. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, the big thing there, so, you know, one, personally, to keep my brain heavy so I can manage everything, you know, I was half joking, but have somebody to help operationally, you know, and that could be a job down the road that, you know, AI could replace at some point, but I've been playing around using Amy, that that is the AI assistant to make meetings. Um, you know, but again, you know, living on that gray area, just not when Amy books things for me, it's very black and white. And there's some cases where she just misses the the point or gets mm -hmm. lost in the conversation and doesn't know what's going on. And that's where that human touch of like a good, 
you know, executive admin or assistant sort of comes into play. Um, so that's something I just missed because I'm too ADHD running all over the place to try and keep, keep my life in order. Um, but then ad ops is the other thing, right? Somebody that can help you, you know, you look at, there was a funny article, I don't remember it was in Inc. or where it was, it talked about, you know, serial entrepreneurs and really successful people in this new world where the only constant is change. You know, ADHD is their superpower. Well, mm. if you're ADHD, you need somebody on your team that can help you keep all of that in some sort of organized way. Otherwise, you sort of just spin out of control. And then the right. flip side of that is I can sell an all new innovation companies right. and take company from another vertical and say, hey, we can repurpose this to go do this. Right. Um, but if there's somebody not there from an ad ops perspective that can sort of follow the nitty gritty detail too, because I can come in and sell it in, but I'm not going to log in. You know, if the the install on the site analytics doesn't go right, I, I mean, I could do it, but it's going to take me way too long. You don't want me going right. around your right. code trying to find the broken tag or the broken piece of script. You need somebody that that's all they do and they're really, really good at it and they know where to go find it. So I think though of the, and those are kind of two ends of either spectrum, but right. to me, those become, the more this stuff becomes complex, the more this stuff evolves and changes and the more media purchased programmatically, the more the data sources that become available, you know, think about IOT, connected devices, there's, all, there's gonna be more and more data generated than ever, right? And so if you don't have the ability on either end of that, just put some sort of really structured bookends on it hmm. to sort of keep everybody marching in the right direction, it, it's really easy just to get lost in, in, in the shuffle. I think it's, 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 I think well said, and, and, and we are almost at the, the tail end of, 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 of the conversation. I think it's a very good closing remark. I don't want to just wrap anything on top of it, but one parting <laughs> thought. So, um, what is your recommendation on a good read? Like, is there any book or anything that you recommend that you really like our audience to, to read about either transformation, yeah. innovation, or it, like. Well, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's another great thing we can close on because, you know, when I'm talking to young people in the business and I'm mentoring different sort of uh, a younger generation sort of coming up behind us, um, it, I don't think people do two things enough. Um, everybody's too busy working down, not up, so they don't have time to go to a conference or they say, well, I can't go to these conferences and my boss won't pay for it. And it's like, well, write an article for a media post. They'll give you a free mm. pass to the conference. Mm. Volunteer to speak on a panel or moderate a panel, you'll get a free pass to the conference. And then go, don't make excuses while you got too much work, figure it out, make it happen. And even if you leave and you're like, well, I didn't hear anything new, well, at least you know you're on the pulse of what's going on and you're not out of left field. Those are also great environments to test out cockamamie ideas before you go puke that on your agency brass or your clients to sort of test it out on a panel and see if the audience is like, oh, you dummy, no way. Or, oh my God, that's the smartest thing I've ever heard. You need to sort of bring that home. So I think going to these events, you know, watching video podcasts like this, and then just reading. I try and read as many newsletters, set aside 20% of my day to just read newsletters, uh, books. Um, there's a really great book. Um, I forget the gentleman's name called Madison Avenue Manslaughter. And he's talking about how um, the challenges for the agency right now with all this technology is really only been, you know, 35 years in the making or 45 years in the making since like the advent of Mad Men. And right. his thing is people don't, the, the agents, a lot of the agencies don't, they, they know they spent this amount of money and they know this amount of money, but they don't, they haven't mapped inputs and outputs to know exactly what drove what. So as you're trying to sell a new shiny objects, you don't really know how to prioritize that I'm going to sell client a 
shiny object one, I'm going to sell client B, shiny object two, or vice versa, because they don't know those things. So his thing is like, this whole thing coming on in the agencies now has been almost a half a century in the making because of those challenges and they're overstaffed and all these things. And so that's a really good one for anybody dealing with agencies, working with agencies, at consultancies, of how this isn't a new phenomenon that the agencies are struggling with this. It's been a slow burn, if you will. Um, I think another great book that I love is called Ready Player One. Um, oh, I, 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 a fun book of just about you know the future of the world, food shortages, energy shortages, and people put on these haptic suits in VR and they go to school, go to work in this virtual realm. Um, and really thinking about the, the, the ramifications that this stuff could have, what the innovation of tomorrow could have on what our future lives would look like. And then another book I'd recommend, which is actually a movie now, but I, I always encourage everybody to read the book first, uh, the book, The Circle. Um, and that's sort of, it's the equivalent of like two years from now, some new company came out of nowhere and they go by Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google, and they close the loop using cloud storage, streaming data, streaming video, and everybody in the world has to go transparent. And if you don't, mm. you're hiding something and you're shady. Um, and, and that's really like this stuff we're doing today, you know, innovation for today, what impact is that gonna have my life tomorrow? Mm. And I think those are very different reasons, but I think those are just really, really um, fun books. And then only because I, I helped the professor write it, there's another really good book by a professor named Mark Jeffries. Um, who runs his own little mobile um, gaming app company now using the gyroscope and the phone called the Quimo, doing some very cool things. Uh, but he has a book that you can get on Amazon called Data Driven Marketing. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, and, and, and you're not going to come out of that like learning anything, but it's just really interesting use cases of how in a world of everything being data driven, how broad that statement can be. Uh, across verticals, industries, for branding, for PR stunts, for street marketing, for e-com, direct response, and that's great. And then the last one I'll leave everybody with is go read Avinash Kashik's. He's got a book, Web Analytics, an hour a day. It's a little mm -hmm. old now, but I know he keeps it updated. When I was running the analytics group at Havas, I used to buy dozens of them, and I'd make that to be everybody's training materials. So anybody trying to learn this stuff, it's just a great, easy way in. And then he's got... Um, uh, I think it's Akeem's Razor uh, is his like data blog mm. and it's fantastic. And, and he's just an absolutely hilarious guy and he's just sheer genius and he spits this complicated stuff out in just very practical, pragmatic, real ways that I think your audience would probably find very enjoyable. Interesting. So with that, um, thank you so much, Rob, for walking us through how the agency model works. Thank you so much for explaining that some of the leadership challenges or some of the opportunities from, from the innovation when it come, when, when we look at from the agency point of view. Yeah. Love to have you again at some point, share your stories and thank you so much for your time and truly appreciate that. My pleasure. This is the fun part of the day when you get to kind of just geek out and talk on the, all the things <laughs> going on in the business, which sometimes, you know, which is why I like it because sometimes you don't get to pull out and mm. pull back a little bit and look back in because you're just in it so deep that this is even helpful for me sometimes to sort of better articulate all the crazy shit swirling around in my head. So my pleasure. <laughs> this is great. You know how to find me. Yes. I, great. Thank you so much. Right on. Thanks, man. Take care. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I just, uh. I just,
I thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick. Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick. I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here. Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it. And I go into the booth feeling nervous. Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless. Is the mic on? I don't know how to work this. Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on this.